Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be hearing this. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites as we continue to read through the scriptures this year. And my reading for today in episode 293 is found in Mark chapter 12 and 13. So let's continue reading and let's go through Mark 12 and 13 today. And I just want to point out a few things. First of all, in the first 12 verses of chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to them in another parable, which fulfills, of course, uh, Psalm 72, uh, 78, verse 2, as we talked about before. But this particular parable is about uh, someone planting a vineyard, and you know he, he dresses it, he does everything he can to protect it and get it right, and, um, and then he leases it to people, and then he goes away into a far country. Then when it's time for fruit, he comes, he sends for people to give him some of the fruit. And he sends servants to get the fruit to the vine dressers. Well, the vine dressers uh, stone the people and, and mistreat them and so forth. So he sends people over and over and over again. Finally, he decides, I'm going to send my son. I want to read that to you. Um, in verse 6, therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them, saying, at last, saying, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> they will respect my son. <clears throat> but those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him, killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard. So his question to them is, what in the world do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do to those evil people that did that to his son? <clears throat> and then he goes on and he gives us this prophetic word that it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ Psalm 188, uh, 118, verse 2, have you never read this scripture? And then he talks about the stone that the builders rejected becoming the chief cornerstone and it being a marvelous work of God. They knew they were t that he was talking about them, and so they wanted to kill him. It incensed them. Now, how did they know he was talking about them? Well, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 5, the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 5 will answer that question for you. Because in Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah the prophet gives us this story and tells us what it's all about. In Isaiah 5, he says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, cleared out its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. That word actually means poisonous berries. <clears throat> and now, O oh inhabitants of Jerusalem and the men of Judah, <coughs> Back in Isaiah 5, continuing on. Judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard than I have not done in it? 
Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth <coughs> poisonous berries, wild grapes? And now, <coughs> please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked, meaning God, he was looking for justice. But behold, instead, there was oppression. He was looking for good fruit, justice. But instead, he got the poisonous grape of oppression. He was looking for righteousness, the good fruit. But behold, instead, he found the outcry, a cry of distress because of what they had done to his vineyard and the way that they had uh, not produced the good fruit that he was talking about. That's why that these leaders, these chief priests and scribes and elders got so incensed with him about this parable. Because they knew the scriptures. They knew Isaiah. They knew Isaiah's words. And they knew that he was talking about the vineyard from Isaiah chapter 5. And in Isaiah chapter 5, it explains those details for us. So the point is that Jesus came as the son looking for good fruit from his nation. The nation that was supposed to be his own special people. The nation that was supposed to be producing good fruit that could produce blessing and feed many. And instead of finding the good fruit, he found them feeding people poison. It wasn't just sour grapes. It wasn't just bad grapes. It was poisonous berries. Those that would bring killing and destruction to people who ate their fruit. And so he was, he was upset about that. And the chief priests, scribes, and the elders knew it. And so they sought to kill him. Instead of repenting, they kept trying to kill him. So here again, they keep trying to trip him up with more questions. They raise the question about, do we pay taxes or not? And he tells them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, those who's on the image of the, of the money, but render to God what belongs to God. Everything belongs to God in the sense that, you know, with us, our very breath even is a gift from God. We take many things for granted, but we need to remember that even the very breath we breathe is a gift from God. Everything belongs to him and we need to give back to him in sincerity and in a true love and devotion to him. Everything that we are, <clears throat> everything that we have. Praise be to God. <clears throat> then the Sadducees try to join in and they're trying to trick him up. But he doesn't fall for that. Notice this, that with the Sadducees, and their question, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. So they're trying to trip him up with something they didn't even support. They come to him and they say, you know, this guy had a wife and he died. And, and you know, because of the Leverite marriage uh, law that was in the Torah, you know, his, uh, his brother 
took up the wife, and they didn't have any children either, and it kept on going down the line through seven different men, and then the wife died too. So then they're claiming, they they like, well, who in the resurrection is going to get her? And Jesus has to correct their theology. But I want you to notice this in verse 24 through 27 of chapter 12 of Mark. Jesus corrects them in a few ways. First of all, he expresses to us and gives us the truth that when the resurrection does in fact happen and we are raised from the dead in a new type of relationship, a new type of body, there is no more marriage. We will know people that we've known in this life and people we've had relationships with in this life, but it will not be a marriage type of relationship in heaven. So whoever you are married to now will be more like a, a friend, I guess you could say. I, I'm not sure exactly. We don't know. I haven't died yet and found out, but it's a different type of relationship. That's the point. But then not only does he do that, but he also really hones in to them on this misinformation and misbelief, this different belief and wrong thinking that they had about resurrection, period, because they didn't even believe in it. But he says, I want to read you in verse 26 through 27. But concerning the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. So Jesus is using this as an opportunity to correct their entire theology. First of all, I find this interesting because he used the only thing that they believed were true scriptures, which were the books of Moses. These were the Sadducees. They did not believe in the Psalms and the prophets. They didn't accept the writings and the prophets as true scripture God breathed. But they did believe in the books of Moses as God breathed. So Jesus goes to the very uh, Torah that they accepted to prove to them that their theology about resurrection was wrong. Beloved, after this life, there is a resurrection. There is, even, even now, Paul tells us later in another place, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So as soon as we, are die, as soon as we die, if we are believers, we're immediately in God's presence. And therefore, eternity will never We'll never suffer again. We'll never die again. We are there in a new body and in his presence. And so there is living in heaven. The living are in heaven. The bodies might be in the ground for now. There will come a time when the, what we typically call the rapture. You may have different opinions about that and about when and where it happens or how it happens. But at one point, in the future, there will be a rejoining of those bodies and a transformation into a brand new eternal body. But the body might be in the grave, but the person is with the Lord when they are Christians and pass from this life into eternity. He is the God of the living, not of the dead. Praise God. So then they try to trip him up about the law and they say, okay, what's the greatest commandment? 
So he tells them. He gives them the top two. The top one is you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That covers everything. That covers our inmost being, our desires, our motivations, covers our mind, will, and emotion, covers our intellect and our thinking and reason, and it covers even our might and our strength and ability. And he says, you love God, and then you love people like yourself, quoting from Leviticus 19, verse 18. If Jesus is summing these up, then these are the two that form the basis. He says that. He says that upon these two hang all the law and the prophets in another place. So true love for him is that self-sacrificing, agape kind of love. But when we have that toward God, and we have that toward people as well as toward ourselves, and care for others and care for the things of God the way we would care for our own being and our own self, then Jesus is saying here, those are the two greatest commandments. Love God with every part of your being and love people as if they were your own self. As you would care for yourself, you care for other people. You love them and you care for them. Praise God. Jesus says to that scribe, because this scribe then comes back and says, yeah, you got that right. You know, basically that's what he's saying. He says, yeah, you answered very wisely. So Jesus says to him, he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus knew his heart was turned toward him. And he was like, you're not far from being able to repent and become a believer in me. You've got, you're close to saving faith. Praise God. In verse 35 through 37, Jesus now is teaching them. And he asks, in, he asks this question, how is it that the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself called him Lord. How is he then his son? In other words, here we're seeing Jesus expounding on the fact that he is the son of David. Yes, he is the promised Messiah, but he is also God's son and David's Lord. And so he's attesting to that here. I want to direct your attention to Psalm chapter 2 verse 7 and Psalm 110 verse 1 as well. Then we see he warns us about the scribes and their, their egotism, their desire to be recognized, to be seen, have notoriety and faith and fame, I mean, but they are pretentious in that. And so they'll be heading for greater condemnation because of their influence. God always holds those who have influence over others um, more liable and, and succumb to greater condemnation or greater reward. And it's what they do with that influence that determines that. Then he talks about the widow's mites that she put in as being more than those because she gave from her heart, not just out of some religious duty that really meant nothing to them. In chapter 13, first of all, we start out with the disciples being enamored with the gold and the the beauty of these exterior buildings, the temple and the city and so forth. And then 
they go to Jesus, a few of them. Jesus tells them, he says, uh, you see all this beauty? It's going away soon. It'll all be thrown down. Not one stone will be left upon another that will not be thrown down is what he's telling them. And that did, in fact, happen in 70 A.D. So he's prophesying again. And he's trying to direct their attention away from the physical things because he's fixing to start building a church that is not physical, physical in the sense of brick and mortar in the buildings. So then he goes and he sits down on the Mount of Olives and four of his 12 come to him privately and talk to him and say, hey, you know, when's this going to happen? What's going to be the sign of your coming? When are all these things? How are we going to know that they're being fulfilled? So Jesus begins to tell them what we call the Olivet Discourse. And that's what it's typically referred to as. You'll find it also listed in Matthew chapter 24 and in Luke chapter 21. And we'll get to Luke's account here as we continue reading through the scriptures. Now, this tells us a lot of people refer to these as a lot of the end-time prophecies, and there they are. There's legitimacy to that. It's not my desire to get into that right now, but I do want to point out a few things about it. First thing that he says is, do not be deceived. Now, friend, we are living in the times when these things are being fulfilled. How close we are to the coming of the Lord is yet to be seen but we are very close and we are getting closer every single day. And we know one of the, the reasons we know that to be true is because there is extremely rampant deception all around and we must have the discernment of the Spirit of God. So I ask you and I encourage you to pray for discernment in these days that we are living. He tells us first about the beginning of sorrows. Then he goes on and he warns about coming persecutions to the church and to the believers. Now, he's, again, not warning or telling us or even prophesying something that he himself didn't go through. Because in just a few more chapters, we will see that happen to him. And he will be tortured and he will be humiliated and he will die and be killed for us as well. He also talked about the need for endurance and the ability to trust the Holy Spirit that whatever we need, whenever we are questioned on anything, that the Holy Spirit will give it to us in that very moment. And he talks about our need for endurance as well in that same passage. He then talks about, beginning in verse 14, uh, those the specific prophecy <clears throat> about the abomination of desolation that Daniel prophesied about. Now, by this time, that had happened in its prototype about 150 years or so prior to this event, and that's what formed the basis for the Maccabean revolt and all of that. That's part of their history. So Jesus is saying here it's yet to come. So that was only a prototype. That was only a foreshadow of what is yet to come, and so we know that to be still true. He tells us that that is going to be the catalyst for the flight to the wilderness in the days of the end times, that the Jews will need to fly to the wilderness. It will be a three and a half year period. And we know that from Daniel's prophecies in Daniel chapter 9, 26, 
in Daniel 11.31 and in Daniel 12.11. So you can read more about that then. Again, he ends the same way he started, warning about deception so that we do not fall prey to deception. Then he talks about the fig tree blooming and knowing that when it starts to bloom, you know that the time is very near and that that's the last generation. And we know the fig tree to be Israel. So all of it is connected to what we can see and know from Israel. And then in verse, uh, let me look at my notes here. Verse 34, this is interesting because Jesus prophesies about his um, <clears throat> departure and he does it in kind of a, a parallel or I mean a parable or a simile uh, metaphor kind of form. But I want to read this to you. He says, it is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. And then he says, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And this is the same message that we must have today as we know that the day is drawing near. But I wanted to point out this. When he left, it says here that he's using a metaphor. He's using a simile to teach us this. And he says it's the person is the master of the house is departing. But he's also entrusting his house, his possessions, his world, his community, his people into the hands of his servants. And he's also giving each one of them a job to do, each one of them work to do, their own work. And then he's giving them the command to keep the door. In other words, to keep watch, to be a watchman, to not be found sleeping. There was a severe penalty in the temple for any doorkeepers that were found sleeping on their night watches and it was very severe he also goes through these four night watches he says you don't know when i'm coming it could be at 6 p.m 12 o'clock 3 o'clock 6 a.m it could be uh, 3 o'clock in the morning 6 a.m in the morning you know those were the times that he listed there but he said in essence basically you don't know so you've got to be watching and not falling asleep. Be on your guard. And he says this again. He repeats this same morning in Revelation 16, 15. He talks about being those that watch and keep their garments and are ready. This is the same message that I want to leave you with today. He said this, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch we are in the days when we need to be watching for the Lord's return and be careful and be ready when he comes. And I leave that with you. I hope this has been a blessing to you today. God willing, you can join us again for more episodes of Bible Bites. Lord bless you today in Jesus' name.